So today is officially our last Sunday. This is a picture actually of three and a half years ago. This was our first Sunday here. First Sunday here. Isn't that crazy? So you're like, what, what happened to the floor, right? Okay, very observant. We had this thing called a flood in 2016, in the beginning of the year. Long story short, our K-1 House of Prayer team walked in on Wednesday morning, like around 7.30, 8 in the morning, like getting ready. And then we're like, oh, that's interesting. Fourth floor has a lot of leaks. We're like, hmm, very interesting. We're like, well, okay, we'll put bins in here. It rained last night, so we'll do what we can to make sure we contain it. We'll call the, the rest of the staff to make sure that they take care of it. We're going to go upstairs and get ready for the watch. We walk into this sanctuary, and I kid you not, I open the door, and I'm like, I know it's early, but like, like, what's going on? It looks like a hallucination because the floor looks like it's floating. Like, the floor looks like it's floating. It's supposed to look like wood, but it's floating. The reason why that was is because we have ondo right underneath, like, a, uh, like a layer of, like, laminated, laminated kind of wood-looking-like thing. And so water had gone in, and it seeped under the laminated thing. And so it was like you're walking on a waterbed, basically. It was really crazy. And so after that, this was the year of rest, very ironically, 2016. In the beginning of the year, we actually had to redo, like, most of the sanctuary. Thankfully, a lot of things were still preserved. So that's why it looks that way. It used to look that way. The good thing is that once we change the floors, you guys remember anytime ever anybody dropped like a cell phone on the floor, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people remember this kind of floor would make it go like, poof, you know, and everybody around it would kind of, it didn't explode. It was just really, really loud because of the ondo. So that was our first Sunday here. This was in April of 2015. And then that same week on Sunday night, we invited all of, you know, Shilim and Itewan also to come together and celebrate with us. So this was the Antioch celebration. We had like a massive celebration here. It was so much fun. In this room, in this very same room, we've also had the joy of having two all-night prayer meetings. I don't know how we did it. I feel too old to do that right now. You guys remember that? Okay. So we've had two all-night prayer meetings where we sought the Lord up until, was it 6 a.m.? 6 a.m., right? 6 a.m. And we were like, oh, man, we are, like, so Christian. We're, like, super Christian after this. We're patting ourselves in the back, walking out, like, walking home. We're like, oh, man, I've earned, like, you know, a mansion in heaven or something. We walk out, and there's people still partying. And we're like, okay, well, people do this for partying. You know, like, we do it for a different reason, and we're patting ourselves in the back. So it was kind of a good wake-up call. So we had all-night prayer meetings, and we also hosted JPM here as well. All the pictures kind of look similar, huh? But this is JPM, trust me. This is JPM, so this is where once a month we would come together here and really cry out on behalf of this peninsula. We've also had missions trainings here. Who has been part of the missions, like any missions teams at, at Indy Philly? Yeah, yeah, that's a good number of you guys. So we had our missions trainings from here. We would meet like once a week or once every two weeks to get our, our teams together and then learn body worships and like all kinds of different things. We still remember a lot of those, by the way. In this room, we've also had really gorgeous banquets for Thanksgiving, right? So this was, I think this was last year. If you guys remember this interesting <laughs> character, we were... 
overjoyed to have Esteban, what was his name? Esteban Harvey, right? So Steve Harvey, um, Steve Harvey, join us for uh, Thanksgiving banquet. And so we had a really, really amazing time here together, like every year doing this. Yeah. Yeah, right? Um, yeah, so these are really, we've been so blessed to, to be able to do so many things here as well. We've also had joint Chuseok services. So twice a year, we would meet Alpha and Omega. We join us, um, we joined together to have, uh, Chuseok services together. We've also had K1 in this space as well. So twice a week for four hours in total, we would meet on this very same stage on this very same room and seek the Lord. This has been happening for the last three and a half years as well. We've had... New Year's Eve service. This was insanity. Like I've never seen a church do like, like, like smoke machine and like glow sticks and like people jumping up and down the stage. And anyway, so we had New Year's services here as well. We've had baptisms here as well. We actually filled like a huge pool right here and we'd have baptisms here. I think at the most we had like 20 some baptisms in one year. And we had also amazing fellowship activities such as Omega Games. So this is our Omega community. We have the Omega Queen actually in our midst today, <laughs> right here today. So Pastor Myunga join, joining us today. So we've had like really, really amazing times in this place. It's been the location, the place for so many different things where God moved in our midst. And it wasn't just like this room in particular. It was the people that gathered in this room. And that's what we're really thankful for. That means that the church is not contained to a certain building, but wherever God's people go, that's where the church goes. And so that's what we're looking forward to go, uh, upcoming in two weeks as we merge with the Shilim community. It doesn't matter where it is. It could be like, I don't know, give me a random location, like Ilsan. It could be in Ilsan as long as God, God's people meet together there. It's not Ilsan. It is Shilim, actually, okay? So don't panic. It's a lot of people like, did it change in the last week? No, no, no. It's not Ilsan. It is in Shilim, which is like a few stations like in the same line. Yes, yeah, so wherever God's people meet, that's where the church is. And, you know, before I go into the message, I was debating whether I should do this or not. I actually wanted to thank one particular person that is here in the room today. And I didn't want to do this because they hate to be put on the spot, which is why I think we should definitely do it today. Um, I wanted to thank Daisy Kim. So can you stand up really briefly and then you can sit back down? <laughs> Daisy Daisy Kim. Woo. Yeah. All right, you can sit back that you're good. She really hates to be put on the spot, but Daisy, she was part of our staff for a long time. And it was she who really spearheaded a lot of the renovations that actually made Antioch Center possible. So this is not just somebody who coordinated people and made phone calls and, and whatnot. This was a person who was like on the phone asking for this very particular stool, asking for this very particular, you know, like every, everything like soap dispensers, like, like, uh, like, I don't know, like that clock in the back, like the color of the walls, just everything really doing an amazing, amazing job that we got to, you know, enjoy for the last three and a half years. So thank you so much, Daisy, for everything you've done. Like we've, we've been so blessed by having this space. And I know that you hate being 
you know, recognized in that way. But if it wasn't for you, really, I don't think we could have had this and have enjoyed it as well as we did. So thank you very much. Can we give her a, a, a like, thanks, man. Man. Thank the Lord for people like Daisy. If it was me doing this, like, uh, <laughs> no, no, I have walls, like, green, I don't know, black, maybe probably black everything <laughs> here. I, I really like the color black, as you can see. Um, all right. So now we're going to go into the message today. Uh, last year, I preached a message back in, I would say, like, June or so. I preached a message from Psalm 23 on the discipline of the Lord. It was about how his rod and his staff comfort us. It's such a weird thing to pair up rod and staff, meaning protection and discipline, and then pair that up in the same line, say, say that, thank goodness, I'm so glad for that. It comforts me. It's, it, it brings peace to my heart. And it's so rare for us to see God's discipline in particularly that way. But if it wasn't for that, if it wasn't for God's discipline in our lives, often we would go our own way. We would do whatever we want. And nobody would be able to rein us in. And the fact that God uses his rod and uses his staff to both protect and discipline us means that we are sons. Means that we're being treated not as orphans, not as servants, but as sons. And God, as a father, he's a very good father and also a good discipliner if we ever need that. So kind of preaching from the same passage, I wanted to preach from a different section of that same psalm. And it is that my cup overflows even now. Now, this is, a, this is coming from a place of the Lord confronting my heart about a lot of different things. If you guys have been tracking with us the last year, it's been a roller coaster of a year, right? If you haven't, then trust us. It has been a roller coaster of a year. And in the midst of so much change, so much craziness, so, much, so many things that were up in the air all along... Um, I remember there was this one time where the Lord was dealing with my heart, and this happened to be during a, a K-1 watch. And the Lord doesn't like to just confront me in, in private somewhere. He does it when I'm, like, right here on a keyboard with a mic right in front of my face, and we were singing through Psalm 23. And how, what we do at K-1 is we sing through Scripture, and we allow the Holy Spirit room to actually unpack that scripture for us. So we were singing through Psalm 23, and we were singing through that particular verse, uh, my cup overflows. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And then in the midst of that, I feel the Holy Spirit asking me, does your cup overflow? I'm like, yeah. Does it overflow even now? I'm like, Mm, eh, kind yeah like mentally maybe like hypothetically maybe but god was putting his finger on something that i felt was like a future promise it was a promise on certain occasions or as a promise when things work out when things settle down when we finally gone through all the transitions and maybe sometime this year in december my cup will overflow we project this promise that is actually for us today and god was really like speaking to my heart, confronting me and saying like, I know, I know things are really hard right now. It's not easy right now, but do you believe that your cup still overflows right now? Not despite now, because of now, because of what you're going through, it's going to be much harder for you to make that confession and actually believe it. 
And I believe the Lord was giving me an opportunity to actually, in the midst of everything, with things yet to be resolved, he was giving me that opportunity to make that confession to him. It's different once things have worked out. Once things have panned out, you're like, oh, yeah, totally. My cup definitely overflows. But in the middle of a struggle, that is a window of opportunity that God gives you to actually profess something that will require faith. It will require you looking beyond your circumstances. So I want us to walk through very quickly um, this, um, the passage in Psalm 23 from the very beginning. And it starts out by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. The Lord is my shepherd. If there's anything else that is directing your emotions, your decision-making, there's anything else that defines how you're going to act. It means something else is your shepherd. Did you know that you can be shepherded by anxiety? You can be shepherded by cost benefit analysis. You could be shepherded by fear. You could be shepherded by rejection. You can be shepherded by so many different things and you have to make a conscious decision to allow the Lord himself to be your shepherd. And as a result, you will not be in want. He is the one who makes you lie down on green pastures. Sometimes we don't want to lie down. We want to strive. We want to work. We want to run. And the Lord himself, sometimes against our will, kicking and screaming, he will make you lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. It is he who leads me into that peace. Sometimes we think we have to shepherd our own selves. We have to lead ourselves into that place of peace. It's the Lord actually who is only the, the only one who's able to lead us by still waters. And it is he who restores our soul. It is not the circumstances that will restore your soul. It's not even your family or your friends or your pastors or your CG leaders that will restore your soul. It is the Lord that will restore your soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So we look more like him at the end of this journey. That's called sanctification. When the Holy Spirit is at work in us to make us more and more like Jesus Christ with every day. It means that sometimes he has to lead us in this process of sanctification to walk through a valley of the shadow of death. But this is a comforting promise behind it. I will fear no evil because God is with me. Because God is with me. Not because things are working out. Not because you have your family who's supporting you. Those things are all good, but the reason why you will fear no evil when you find yourself alone walking through the valley of the shadow of death is because God has not abandoned you, and he never will. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, even though in the moment, often, we don't see that as something comforting. We're like, why, Lord? Why now? There's never going to be a good time, by the way, for discipline. There's never going to be a perfect opportunity for, you know, for, for him to address different things in our hearts. But it's a comfort that he doesn't let us go our own way. It's a comfort that he intervenes. It's a comfort that he treats us as sons. He cares a lot more about the process and about the person that you are becoming than even the results, than even what you see in the natural. And it is he who prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Important. In the presence of my enemies. It's not after the enemies are long gone. 
It is in the midst of the adversity that he chooses sovereignly to set a table to provide for you. It is there that he will show his provision. And you anoint my head with oil. It is his blessing, his spirit in our lives that brings us that anointing, that comfort, that set apartness. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Not just yesterday, not just today, not just three weeks ago. Today is one of those all the days, right? Today is one of those all the days. Today is included in that. That means that today, right now, as you're sitting in that plastic seat, the Lord's goodness and mercy is over you, is over your life, even today, all the days of your life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We're not just visiting his house. We're not just hanging out and chilling for a bit. We will dwell there. That is our dwelling place and that is our home. So when we looked at this passage a year ago, we looked at the entirety of the passage. Can you read? It's a little bit small. But we went through verse by verse about what things must be true if this psalm is true. So we looked at the psalm and we said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. What does that mean? It means that I have provision. It doesn't matter what I feel. The truth of the word guarantees that we have provision. He leads me beside quiet waters. It means I have peace. It doesn't matter what my circumstances are. I have peace because the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not be in want. He restores my soul. It means I have refreshment. I have refreshment. Can you say that? I have refreshment. I have refreshment right now. You don't sound very refreshed right now. You have refreshment right now. Why? Because the Lord is your shepherd. The Lord is your shepherd. He's taking care of you right now. And if it is true that he guides, uh, he restores my soul, it means I have refreshment in him. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It means I have sanctification. All the things that have yet to fall into place in our lives, all the areas in our lives that we're still impatient about, like, Lord, when will this change in my life? I have the guarantee that God is making me more like his son because he says that he will lead me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will, I will fear no evil. It means that I have sustenance and trials. I have boldness and hardships, no matter what the circumstances are. For you are with me. It means I have company, even when you feel like you are all alone. Even when you feel like nobody's standing with you. Even when you feel like you're alone in your witness at work. Even if you feel like you're all alone in your witness in your family. You have company because he is with you. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It means I have protection and discipline as a son. And uh, you prepare a table before me. It means I have abundance in the presence of my enemies. It means I have victory over my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. It means I have favor with the Lord. No one can take that favor away from you. No, nothing that the enemy does, nothing that your family does, nothing that your workplace does, nothing that the world can do can take away that favor. 
It comes from the Lord. It cannot be taken away by anybody else. You have favor in the Lord. My cup overflows. It means I have everything I need. doesn't matter what kind of lack you're experiencing in your life, what it looks like in the natural, all the things that have yet to fall into place. You have everything that you need in the Lord. And that is the truth of the word. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. It means I have God's hand on my life all the days of my life. It means I have perseverance. It means that you will make it through. No matter what it is that you're facing today, the Lord's favor and his hand upon your life is going to be on your life all the days of your life. And finally, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I have an eternal destination. This is not my home. My life here on earth might be 80 years, might be 100 years, who knows. But this is not my home. This is not the final destination. I'm going somewhere else. Often we put such weight on what happens in these 80 years. We feel like this is a world. There's going to be, we're going to see one another a thousand, a thousand years from now. A thousand years from now. We'll be like, what was all that about? Those 80 years we thought was so crazy. That one year, 2018, was really crazy, but... It was a blip compared to all of eternity here. We're going to have this conversation in a thousand years. I have an eternal destination. It means your current circumstances, they're not permanent. It means this is a journey. You're going to make it through. And your destination is to be with the Lord. I want us to actually take a moment to read this all together. And we're not going to rush. We're going to go through it nice and slow. And this is what I want us to do today. I want us to read this out loud from the very top. But read it like you actually believe it. Read it like this is the word of God. Like this is the truth and this is God's provision over you. If Psalm 23 is true, it means that this is true of your life. So let's read it all together. Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. I have provision. I have peace. I have refreshment. I have sanctification. I have sustenance and trials. I have boldness and hardships. I have company. I have protection and discipline as a son. I have abundance. I have victory over my enemies. I have favor. I have everything I need. I have God's hand on my life. I have perseverance. I have an eternal destination. This is quite the declaration for us to make. This is very bold. And we would not be able to say this unless it was actually in the word of God. What if we actually live like we believe this? What if tomorrow, Monday morning in your workplace, you walk into your workplace knowing and believing I have provision. I have protection. I have sanctification. I have peace. I have company. What if we walked into our workplaces with that understanding that revelation. And we truly believed that. Now back to the original passage, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. This is a passage that really stood out to me while I was preparing for this message. And it is that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Now this is not just about gratitude, towards the Lord, that would be true if the enemies weren't part of the picture. 
the enemies are part of the picture. That means that it's not just about gratitude towards the Lord. It's about defiance towards the enemy as well. Did you know that the enemy is greatly offended by your gratitude, especially in the midst of hardships? He's greatly offended by it. It is a chance that we get in the presence of our enemies to actually rejoice in the Lord. In the presence, not away from, not having rid me of my enemies, then, you know, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. It is when I am in the presence of my enemies, that's when I sit at the table that he has set before me. That is when I know more than ever before that he anoints my head with oil and my cup overflows. So this is my question for you today. What is a situation you are facing right now that is robbing you of the joy, the praise, the thanksgiving that is called for in this moment? Not after it's blown over, like right now when you're in the midst of it. What is a situation that is robbing you, stealing your joy? The moment we allow the enemy to steal our joy, the moment we allow circumstances to steal our joy, the moment we hold hostage our joy and our worship from the Lord until things pan out is a moment we're saying, we're actually not worshiping the Lord. We're actually worshiping the things that need to pan out. Do you understand? If we have conditions on our worship, it means that whatever those conditions are, once they change, that's when I release my worship. It means that's what you're worshiping. You're not worshiping the Lord in all circumstances. Now, this is not, I don't want you to think that this is a mind over matter. Like, let's, let's be positive here. Let's think positive and happy thoughts. It's not about that. This is a faith issue. This is a faith issue. Let me tell you, sometimes we think about faith as faith is blind, right? Faith like makes you believe whatever you want to believe. And you're very oblivious to the circumstances around you. I remember somebody preaching this message, I would say like maybe four years ago. And this is the analogy that they gave. Faith is actually finally being able to see things for what they are. Faith is actually the opposite of blind. When we are allowing ourselves to be defined and determined by circumstances around us, what it looks like in the spirit, it looks like us closing our eyes, forgetting that there's a Lord out there who cares about us, who's fully in control, who knows the end from the beginning, who is for you and who's not against you. It looks like we are standing before that kind of God and we are choosing to close our eyes. We say, I cannot worship until the circumstances change. I cannot worship until my family changes in this way. I cannot worship until my job looks like this and this. We're choosing to stand before a God who's all powerful, all loving and compassionate. We're choosing to close our eyes and forget that he's there. That is what lack of faith looks like. What faith looks like is when we finally open our eyes, we gain perspective And we remember that what we see in the natural, what we see immediately around us is not all that there is. There's a greater, more eternal reality that is at work. And just because today is a bad day, just because tomorrow is a bad day, just because this year is a bad year, it doesn't mean that this is all there is. There is a God in the midst of your circumstances that is faithful, that is just, That is merciful if only you choose to open up your eyes and have faith in that moment. 
Faith isn't blind, but faith is actually and finally seeing things as they are. Now, there's a couple of instances that resound with the verse, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows, and it is this. Jesus Christ, hours before his crucifixion, he was surrounded by disciples who would betray him in a matter of minutes. He knew that even then, somehow, his cup still overflowed. Scripture says in Matthew 26, it says, When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were still eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after another, Surely not I. And Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who betrayed him, said, Surely not I, I, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. So this is the moment of acknowledgement. There's going to be great betrayal. And this is what Jesus does. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Now, when Jesus gives thanks right before eating, it's not like, Lord, thank you for this meal. Amen. Like kind of like how we do. (laughs) We're like, we're so ready for the meal. We're like, amen. You know, that's not what Jesus is doing. Like he's fully in the moment. They just, you know, they just heard for first time they're going to betray him. And in that moment, while they were still eating, he chooses to take bread He breaks it in front of them. He gives thanks for that broken body. That broken body that is a loaf of bread in that moment, but that will soon be his own body. He gives thanks in that moment. Now, what must a man believe that would make him be able to give thanks in that kind of circumstance? What must he know deep within that allows him to not be gripped by fear, not be gripped by anxiety and actually minutes before he's going to be betrayed, actually be able to look up to the Lord and give thanks. What must he believe? Surely he must believe I have protection. I have everything I need. I have sustenance. I have refreshment. I have protection. I have everything I need in the Lord. That opens up my heart for gratitude, even with the hard things. Even with the sacrifice, he gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. And then while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. Uh, sorry. And then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many of the forgive for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. He gave thanks. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. That's where the betrayal would take place. What kind of confidence must you have in the Lord's goodness that you would actually sing a song minutes before your betrayal, hours before your execution? Like, he knew this already. It wasn't like it caught him off guard. He knew this already. He had been already 
prophetically talking about this to his disciples. So he knew that he was minutes away from betrayal, hours away from his execution. And he's still able to sing a hymn, sing a song of praise to the Lord. What would it look like if you knew exactly what kind of circumstances you are in, and in that moment you chose to fix your eyes on the Lord and begin to sing to him? What would it sound like to the Lord and to the enemy? Demons tremble when God's people choose to believe in the God of the Bible. There's nothing scarier to the enemy than a believer who truly believes in this God, who has everything that they need. In the midst of our circumstances, if we were able to give thanks repeatedly, to sing a hymn in the same table as our enemies. What kind of faith would it take? What kind of gratitude of heart would that inspire? And so in the season, I've been asking myself this question. What is the church that God is trying to build here? Right? Like we have services every week. We have preaching, worship, but all of this, where's this all going? Right? I kind of need to know. For me, I'm, I'm one of those people who need to know the destination. Otherwise, I don't have the grit to push through resistance. I don't have the grit to push through the hardships that are along the way. I kind of need to know where we're headed. So I've been asking the Lord, what is the church that you're trying to build in the season? And I keep being drawn to passages in the book of Revelation. If, if you guys don't know, the book of Revelation is prophesying, you know, the church in the present then, the church in the middle, and then also the church in the end times. And I keep being drawn to passages in the book of Revelation, partly because that's like cheating and reading the back, the, the end of the story, right? So that's where we're headed. Whether you believe it or not, that is the ending of the story. That's where things go. And there's a passage in Revelation 7. This is in the midst of judgments falling on the earth. This is in the midst of greater tribulation than anything the world has ever seen. So we think that we're super shaken and we're really, you know, disoriented by things as massive as World War One, World War Two, and everything that's happening here even right now. There's going to be something coming up ahead for the world and for the church that's going to be like nothing anybody in history has ever experienced. Everything leading up to it is only a precursor. And so it talks about the different things that the church will withstand, victoriously withstand. In the midst of that, in Revelation 7, it says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And you find them singing and praising the Lord. They cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb in the midst of everything falling apart in the midst of everything that could go wrong, going wrong. This is what the church looks like. A church that is found singing and praising God in the midst of the hardest and most severe tribulation the world has ever seen. They cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb.
And just in case you thought that, oh, things must be going really well for them now. This is probably why they're saying salvation belongs to our God. The passage moves on to say that one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where do they come from? And I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes, not phobes, I'm sorry, their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in this temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. This is Psalm 23 all over again. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is what the church looks like. The interesting thing is that it's not despite the tribulation. It's because of the tribulation. Hardships have a way of unearthing a lot of things that are kind of right underneath the surface. Hardships have a way of bringing and exposing at the surface what you actually believed all along. They have a way of revealing what was actually in your heart all along. That's the gift that hardships give to us. A church without hardships is a church that probably would not know what they actually worship, how far they're willing to go for that worship. People that have not been cleansed of their idols, people that have not been confronted by their idolatry, people who have compromise and mixture and the Lord has never done anything about it. That's what a church would look like if it was a church without going through tribulations and hardships. But here in Revelation 18, I mean uh, 7, we see how it is because of the tribulations, it is because of the hardships that they've been washed, made white in the blood of the Lamb, and the song that they sing to the Lord, it must sound like something incredible to the Lord. Like if I were the Lord sitting on the throne, and if it was a church that, you know, hasn't gone through very much, and they were saying, praise the Lord, you're really good, you've been really good to us. It sounds different from a church that has gone through tribulation, hardships, persecution, that at the end of all that and in the midst of all that is able to look at the Lord and say, you are good. You are still good. My cup overflows and even right now it still overflows in the midst of the trials.